1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm Ari Ariel, the host of the channel, and today we'll be talking to Mark Wagner about his new book, Jews and Islamic Law in Early 20th Century Yemen. Professor Wagner is an associate professor in the Department of Foreign Languages and Literatures at Louisiana State University. Mark, hi. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, I wonder if you could begin just by telling us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I uh,
0: am from the Chicago area, and um, when I was in college at, uh, at Vassar College in the Hudson Valley, I became interested in Jewish studies, but also in uh, the study of the Middle East, and particularly intrigued in the ways in which these two um, fields overlapped and complemented one another. Uh, and so as I started to think about uh focusing more narrowly in, in graduate studies uh i was naturally drawn to um uh, muslim spain uh, al-andalus and the famous uh, uh productive uh symbiosis that existed between uh arabic and hebrew literatures there uh, but i became gradually more uh, intrigued by yemen which um which, as you know, also had a, a very substantial uh, Jewish community that um, you know that had been there uh, uh, for, for hundreds uh, for hundreds of years, and and, uh, and and Yemen was a place that had only recently uh, become open in some ways to to researchers. So, in a sense, it was like uh, one could throw a stone in any direction and find something new and that, that hadn't been dealt with, um, at, at great length. Uh, of course, at the same time, there is, uh, within Jewish studies, there is quite a, a depth of, 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 uh, research on, on Yemen's, on Yemen's Jews, Jewish community. Um, uh, so, uh, this book is something that came about, um, uh, i wrote i did my dissertation research in my first book on on literature on a, a certain type of poetry that was written in partially or entirely in the vernacular arabic of yemen and was shared uh between uh muslims and jews uh and i and in the course of doing that research i came across uh a couple of books uh in in most research libraries uh sort of hiding in plain sight in the uh, history of the jews of yemen section of the of the bookshelf which were um uh books in hebrew with very uh boring titles like um uh the synagogues of Sana'a, the capital of yemen and um uh, you know the, the the poll tax in yemen and they were written by somebody named um Shalom Saadia Gamliel or Salem Said al Jamal in in Arabic uh, and essentially published in his house um, uh, on the basis of documents that he collected uh, when he lived in Yemen for the in the first half of the 20th century. And so, as I started to explore these books, I became aware of uh, that it, it was really the tip of a, a much larger iceberg of, of um, a kind of what's essentially a lost, uh, a lost. Uh, world of, of um, Jewish and Muslim interaction in Yemen as, as portrayed in the memoirs of, of Jews who emigrated to, uh, to Israel um, and also in uh, memoirs by Muslims in, in Yemen written in Arabic and, and other types of sources like legal, uh, legal manuals and uh, histories and, and things like that.
1: So a, a lot of the book is is on, I mean, obviously is focused on the the legal system, and I'm just wondering for for listeners who are not familiar, could you give us maybe a general background on that legal system in Yemen?
0: Sure. Well, um, uh, the time period that that I deal with in the book in the the first half of the 20th century is uh, really coming on the cusp of uh, some some serious changes within the legal system so so there is there are certain factors within the legal system that show continuity even over a very long period of time and others which are which are quite new so um the ottomans have just been um ha- have just faced a essentially a successful uh, arab revolt against their rule in yemen and imam yahya who is the zaydi imam who is uh, uh the 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 um, central figure in the in the Arab, uh, the local Arab uh, 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 self-definition and is is uh, is attempting to uh, purge the legal system of a lot of the innovations that he's he and his constituents see as having been introduced under under the Ottomans. That is a lot of certain attempts to. uh, to be more lenient in certain areas and also to introduce uh, uh because the ottomans followed that the hanafi madhab which is one of the schools of le- legal or uh legal interpretation in sunni islam uh and they differ with the Zaydis. uh Zaydis are are shiites um and they are the the majority in that in that northern part of yemen um so so there's an attempt to uh to sort of bring back into existence a more uh, strict Zaidi version of um, Islamic law and also to disseminate that version of Islamic law throughout the country by means of new um, cadre of of, uh, educated judges, um, judges who are educated in, in a certain way um, and, and we'll, we'll take that, that legal system all over the country. And this, uh, when it comes to the Jews, um, you know, you, because of this, you, you see a, a sort of, it's relevant to the situation of the Jews in that you had some, not, although not to the same extent as other parts of the empire, but you did have some attempts on the part of the Ottomans to sort of ease up on uh, some of the sumptuary restrictions and um, different types of uh, discriminatory legislation that, that Jews faced uh, in, uh, in different uh, Muslim countries. And so all, all, uh, there were, those attempts were met with a lot of opposition. And so, so when Imam Yahya took over in the early part of the 20th century, um there was a there was a real rollback of of um i would say minority rights when it came when jews were the prime preeminent minority in yemen so um and that that kind of trauma of of now having to uh, uh, having to uh, make the case for having expanded uh rights or or more opportunities uh within this very conservative system uh had some had some very uh you know shatter, sort of shattering effects on the Jewish community itself and effects that are are still I think relevant today
1: there so there's still a, a bit of a, a burgeoning literature about Jews um and autonomy and and Jewish courts in the Muslim world so just to clarify Jews then did use the the Islamic courts in Yemen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a famous uh, um, there's a famous sort of admonition against Jews using Gentile courts that comes through in various places in rabbinic literature. But, you know, it's the same way that you find in uh, medieval monastic literature is is full of, uh, you know, very detailed uh, 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 discussions of the, uh, you know, the The punishment of homosexuals, not not because there was no homosexuality in the in the monasteries, but just precisely because there was. So uh, uh, there is a you know there is a all over the Middle East, not only in Yemen, but Jews were using Muslim courts um, for for a variety of reasons Uh, when it came to property uh, disputes. uh, The Muslim court would offer you know if you, if you're if you're in a, some sort of legal dispute involving uh one your your house you you want to go to the court that's going to give you the best uh, uh written record and so on so it's 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 something that we not need not uh sentimentalize uh, but i think it was it was very clear to Jews living in the Islamic world broadly speaking that the, that the Muslim courts being the courts that enforced the law of the land, they had a certain power that that the Jewish courts did not, and there was a constant, uh, a constant kind of uh, give and take between the two legal systems. And and in some sense, in some spheres, such as in uh, matrimonial law, uh, divorce, and things like that, um, uh, uh, litigants really had were were had to use both systems in order to, um, uh, for example, get a divorce.
1: So I guess this brings us more more firmly into the territory of the book, and you you say you're going to focus the book, um, or maybe focus is too strong a word, but a lot of the book revolves around three protagonists who all happen to have been intermediaries, sometimes in these courts, between members of the Jewish community and the Muslim authorities. Could you tell us a little bit about them?
0: Yeah so one of them is is Salem Said al-Jamal who um who uh, uh died in 2001 um and he was there uh, was uh, it was Salim Said al-Jamal uh uh, uh Saleh al-Dahri and and, uh, and Salem Mansura uh, all of whom uh all of whom died in the uh, right around the turn of the 21st century right so uh, they uh these people had cer these three men had certain things in common they were um, they were all all members of a cert- of a they were all well off and members of a kind of burgeoning mercantile elite that emerged in in Yemen um, uh around the turn of the century uh with the uh, uh ottomans uh, allowing for for imports they were kind of New class of import exporters, um, uh, uh, which which specifically rose up within the Jewish community. Um, they also were uh, they also knew Arabic quite a bit better than most Jews did, um, and most Jews, of course, would would spoke Arabic on a di- daily basis. It was their the vernacular Arabic was their native language, but but were functionally illiterate um like like most muslims presumably um but they uh these men through various uh, uh through through various uh, uh ways actually learned literary arabic quite well and 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 had a a good familiarity with the uh, uh, with the idioms and formulae of islamic uh courts so, they were able to essentially function as lawyers within these courts, uh, even though there, there, there is officially no such thing as a, as a lawyer uh, within Islamic law. Um, and they also belong to a certain uh, ideological uh, orientation within Judaism in Yemen, which was a movement called Dorda, or the, the, gener- the Enlightened Generation, um, that emerged. Uh, right around the, the turn of the, the 20th century and, and had uh, as its cornerstone uh, an attempt to sort of return to the sources of medieval um, medieval Jewish philosophy as expressed in Arabic uh, by by uh, writers like Sadia Gaon and, and uh, Maimonides uh, and to turn away from uh, from the Kabbalah, from the Jewish mystical tradition. And, and so they had a very, uh, antagonistic relationship towards Kabbalah, which had been a, uh, a staple of, of Judaism in Yemen. And so, um, and so these, these three men, uh, interacted with the courts in an, in an, were able to interact with the courts in, an, in, in a way that was more, uh, they, they were conversant in the language of the courts in the way that most other people were not, but they also had a lot of money to pay because going to court then as, as now was an expensive. Uh, and, and so they were able to sort of pursue what seemed like relatively small or, or, or trivial or, or selfish type of um, uh, matters in court, you know, just by virtue of having, having had the money to do so.
1: So since you since you've mentioned the Kabbalah, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the uh, you tell a very interesting story in the book about the conflict over the Kabbalah and the reading of the Zohar and how that pulls in the the Muslim authorities, even up to the level of Imam Yahya. Could you tell us a a little bit more about that story?
0: Sure. Um, So the. uh uh, there, there were two, there, the the there were two factions, and there, there, there's the Dorda faction, which is uh, identified with a particular rabbi named Yahya Kafih, and the the Kabbalistic faction, which is identified with with another rabbi who was the also the each of them had been the chief rabbi. The other rabbi was uh, uh, Yahya, uh Yahya Ishak, and um and so the the uh what happened was uh, uh, uh yeah, at a certain point uh yahya is yahya the the rabbi starts launching a very um pointed uh criticism of kabbalah as being um idolatrous and uh, uh in, in its doctrine of the uh, mystical uh the or the the various and essences or emanations of of god that it's essentially polyistic and even uh christian uh and so uh uh, and 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 also railing against certain uh practices that are associated with, with kabbalism like um uh whether or not the table should be cleared after the say after the blessing after meals or uh uh, things uh, or whether or not certain words should be used in in canonical prayers, um, a, a host of, of very small uh, litmus tests, essentially that differentiated the two groups,
1: uh, and this
0: this uh, uh, split between the the kabbalists and the anti kabbalists became quite uh, uh, bitter, uh, uh, very bitter, very fast, and, and often led to violence. Um, and they and the two groups were not shy about trying to draw the Muslim authorities into this debate. Uh, and so uh, the anti-Kabbalists did everything that they could to try to portray their
1: enemies
0: as polytheists, right? As not like that, that the belief in in these Kabbalistic doctrines was was so foreign to um, the monotheism of Judaism that that they that. That these people essentially were, were uh, uh, you know, should not be considered Jews by the by the Muslim state. And that was the implication of a lot of their arguments, are very incendiary arguments. And on the and they, but they were the minority. So um, on the other hand, they're probably a third of the community in in Sanaa. So on. The Kabbalists were saying these people are are introducing you know innovation into Judaism in, in a, they are making changes in some in something that has been this way for for centuries and is as it should be. So they're 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 troublemakers and they're uh, you know they are they are agents of foreign powers. Uh, this this was the way that. They were uh, presented by to the authorities by the kabbalists. Uh, so everybody was trying to um, each each Jewish each side within the Jewish uh, uh, this intra Jewish controversy was trying to get the, the Muslims to crack down on the other side, uh, which they they tried not to do. It seems, and and you know I, I argue that um, that the that. That then, as now in Yemen, there's a there's a real problem with sectarian identity, and, and um, you know, trying to manage the uh, for for any government to try to manage the differences between uh, Zaidi Shiites and Shafi Sunnis, who made up the bulk of the population of the south, was always a, a huge, uh, a very delicate balancing act and and imam yahya tried uh with some success although uh, some some limited success to try to uh, uh keep those uh tensions to a minimum and it seems that he was doing the same thing when it came to the jewish community he saw this the two situations as being analogous and uh um, and 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 therefore uh his even though even though the uh even though the zaidi tradition takes a pretty dim view of of sufis that is that is a mysticism within islam because um because his his interest was in keeping things quiet and calm, the tendency on the part of the government was to back the Kabbalist
1: side that's really interesting. So on one hand, we have these really important matters of Jewish law ending up in an in Islamic court, but there also seem to be more mundane matters that are adjudicated there. And you tell a really fascinating anecdote about um, al Jamal buying a, a bicycle and how that ends him in, in this prolonged legal battle, of, of, in a way. Could you tell us about that?
0: Yeah. Um, so uh, the, there was a lot of uh, – one of the there, – there's a document called the Pact of Omar, which is um, was allegedly written uh, right at the at the outset of Islam by some Christians in Syria, um, outlining the various conditions under which they would live in an Islamic state. Um, and it contains various uh, uh, various stipulations and there are various versions of it um, and but in general, the rules that are that are detailed in the pact of Omar are are meant to Emphasize through clothing and, and various ways, uh, ma- uh, manners of behavior, the super- superiority of Muslims over non Muslims. So, one of the stipulations of the Pact of Omar has to do with riding animals. So, a non Muslim is not supposed to ride a horse. Because, um, and, if they, and if they do ride some sort of animal, like a, a donkey, uh, they should ride side saddle, uh, and if they if they ride side saddle, they still should not uh, pass. If they're riding an animal, they shouldn't pass a Muslim on the right. So there there are very it's various sort of etiquette of travel uh, and what to do when when uh, various points relating to to travel and traveling on animals. And this was apparently in Yemen a very fraught. Area and people and Muslims and Jews would often seems from from reading the memoirs and and, uh, uh, it seems that that was a a particularly problematic moment when a um, a Jew uh, mounted on an animal encountered a Muslim uh, uh, because the Jew was meant to behave in a certain way but in in many instances it was not not practical or. Uh, They just or might have been in a part of the country where uh, like a rural area where those those uh, rules were not observed in in, in the way that they were in cities. So. um, uh, Different Jews tried to challenge these these regulations in various ways. So so presumably some Jews, you know, did what they were what they were expected to do, which would be to dismount and and say something, um, you know, uh, uh, before, uh, proceeding with their, don- their donkey, um, you know, past a, a, Muslim, but others, other Jews did not. And others, other Jews really tried to, um uh, uh, uh tried to see how far they could push it. And, and that's what, what two of these, these, uh, 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 Salim Sayyid al-Jamal and also Salah al-Dahri, uh, did this at various points. Um, so they so they would say, well, if you know, if I can't buy a a, a horse, I, what if I got an, just an absolutely in, incredible donkey, right? You know, and so there was this certain breed of uh, you know white donkey with a very loud voice, a very powerful, you know, impressive looking donkey. So they would get that, and then they were, and then they would find in the in the in the uh, legal discussions. Well, you know, it's really riding side saddle is really something you only need to do if you have an actual saddle. But if you, if you were to just put like a, you know, a fancy saddle cloth on the animal or or even ride without a a saddle at all, you could, you could ride it in the normal way. So you have people trying to, to push the envelope Jews trying to push the envelope this with, with donkeys in this way. Um, and then uh, in 1931, Salam Sayed Al jamal gets the idea. Well, what, what about a bicycle, right? It doesn't say anything. Uh, we have these; they had just become available, and he's an importer, so he presumably has has access to them before almost anyone else. So he says, "Well, it doesn't say anything about bicycles, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know." He, so he gets one and he starts he starts riding it around, and he and he starts this legal battle that takes years and years drags on for le- years and years where he goes to the courts, essentially asking for a bicycle license. Um, and he, and uh, using various stratagems uh, to, as to why he needs a bicycle and what he's going to do with it. Um, and he says uh, in his, uh, you know, in his memoirs that he was really trying to use the bicycle as a kind of wedge issue to undermine all of these uh, sumptuary laws, all of the the various uh, laws ranging from you know whether or not a Jew could ride a horse or a or a donkey or a bicycle, but also whether or not it was appropriate for a Jew to raise his voice, his or her voice in the presence of a Muslim, or or, or dress in a certain fashion, or wear their their hair in a certain way that distinguished them from um, from Muslims
1: so would you say this is really about uh, pushing reform or even what would amount to a, a civil rights agenda in, in our language uh,
0: yeah I mean he presents it that way and
1: and it's hard to know how much of this was
0: um, you know how much of this is is a kind of re- a retrospective self uh, presentation but um, certainly I, I think it's fair to say that the, that these intermediaries that I talk about in the book, these, you know, these men who, who had become very successful were very highly, highly educated and wealthy, it really irritated them and it really bothered them that they, you know, to, to have it sort of pushed in their faces that they were not equal to uh, uh, the Muslims who, um, you know, who had some, you know, that there was a threshold of status that they could not reach by virtue, by fa- by, by virtue of the fact that they were Jews. Um, so, you know, whether or not he was doing it for, uh, you know, for, for out of, whether or not they were doing this out of vanity or as, or, you know, in, in, in some, uh, as a broader attempt to sort of pave the way for the entire community is, is, is hard to say. Um, you know, certainly when you can make the case that, you know, that a lot of similar struggles have, have, you know, have their origins in a, in a similar sort of uh, tension uh, and, and that what is, what is essentially selfish uh, uh, can, can in the end uh, when, when it's, uh, you know, when it plays after it plays out through the courts and through the legal system can end up uh, improving the, you know, the lot of, of others. But so, so, yeah, uh, uh, Al Jamal likes. He presents himself very much in the mold of a of a kind of civil rights attorney, engineers these provocations to the Sharia courts, um, in the hopes of of creating a, a, a you know breaking a hole wide enough that all the all the entire Jewish community can can follow behind him. Um, others like uh, Salah Hadhavi, I think, is much more cynical about. About the um, about the system, and, and I guess it's important to remember that uh, that the system had you know, the system operated in a, in a variety of, of, of ways that were laid out in legal sources, and also ways that you won't find you know detailed in any kind of legal sources. So there was a lot of bribery that went on. There were a lot of um, uh in in within the legal system I mean, there was a lot and there was a lot uh, there were a lot of non-legal factors that uh, and this is one of the things that i tried to to elicit in my book is that these 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 non-legal factors having to do with uh, the political outlet, outlook of judges or the um you know the 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 kind of uh uh, person, interpersonal relationships between uh, litigants and judges, or lawyers and and litigants, uh, often these these had had you know as much, if not more, to do with the outcome of cases than, um, you know, than than what the law either you know what the law said or and or and what what one would think would be the allowable uh, room of interpretation for for the ju- the
1: given judge. Um so it it sounds like that that their their wealth and their prominence was actually what allowed them to to play this role and it makes me wonder if somehow the jewish success in commerce in yemen also was threatening to the status quo of of muslim superiority in some way
0: it was and it and it's hard to say um
1: it, uh, i should say that their
0: their their uh, you know the, the successes of this very small group of um, new of, of a new kind of mercantile elite in Yemen came at the expense of the decline of a very large uh, segment of the of the um, of, of of various uh, artisans and practitioners of industries uh, Jewish and Muslim um, who were were you know essentially being. Uh, Driven out by the introduction of mass-produced goods and uh, industrialization. So, um, in in a sense, so 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 we have at the same at the same time we have the rise of these uh, handful of 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 very you know very uh, wealthy um, individuals. There are also quite a few. you know a much larger number of Jews and and Muslims who are were um, you know unable to practice uh, uh, crafts because their crafts because their crafts are have become obsolete. There's no longer uh, 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 there isn't just isn't the market for the kind of hand handmade um, you know shoes and uh, uh, tobacco uh, and cigarettes and 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 uh, silver filigree and the whole range of of uh, of things that Jews were uh, uh, were involved in before uh, before the country was opened up to mass produced imports. Um, But, yeah, certainly there was a there was and there was a perception that um, that imams favored these or or, that that these these Jewish merchants. Uh, who were in this new elite uh, had enjoyed a kind of uh, fa- favoritism on behalf of the imams that that uh, Muslims did not, and that certainly stoked uh, resentment of uh, of the Jewish community.
1: Uh, Given the change you're talking about, from from uh, an economy based on craft to one based on imports, I'd imagine that there was also a lot of inter-Jewish class resentment. Is that the case?
0: Definitely, definitely, and and um, you even find um, uh, one one Jew who was from from Sanaa who later uh, emigrated to, to 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 Israel and then and then came back to Yemen as an agent of the uh, for the Jewish agency. Uh, he wrote very bitterly about these um, fix these these kind of operators, these Jewish operators who who were Wealthy and, and, and could work the system in, in the courts and were well connected with the imams and the imam's sons and, and the judges and other people. Um, and he 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 was extremely uh, distrustful of them. And he said and he said that everybody else was as well and that they had they had these. Um, um, you know, they, that they were essentially uh, uh, they did that they didn't care. The way that they ought to about the broader community, uh, the Jewish community, and that they, um, you know, and that they they essentially had uh, uh, one of their main roles was pro- providing alcohol to the imams and their uh, their entourages or, or not not the imams so much as their uh, other members of the royal family, uh, because al- alcohol is, is forbidden Islam, as you know. Um, and but Jews were allowed to make alcohol and and often sold alcohol to to muslims so they sort of had this uh, uh they had this essential role as providers of of contraband uh and also uh, licit goods uh perfume and imported goods and other other things that they could that they could get uh from europe that the that the uh royal family wanted.
1: Alcohol seems to have been a particular area of sensitivity and and seems to lead sometimes to collective punishment of the Jewish community. I wonder how that how that collective punishment plays out and also what that says maybe about sort of individual rights versus collective rights in this legal system
0: well yeah there uh again when it came when it came to alcohol there there were so the the alcohol is is not permitted in in Islam but it's necessary to um the observance of of judaism so the Isl- islamic state allowed jews to make alcohol um with the assumption that they would make it only for their own uh, only for their own consumption uh yemen is also a place that where uh grapes grow quite well and, and so uh, uh has winemaking traditions that you can already find uh attested in pre-islamic uh, Arabic poetry but um, uh, it, there were various attempts by imams to crack down on because because there was always an, an incentive for Jews to uh, Jews could if, if Jews could make alcohol and there were Muslims who wanted to drink it and so there was always a uh, and, and uh, it was expensive so there was always a uh, Temptation for Jews to sell alcohol to Muslims and 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 usually a way for that, that to happen. And so uh, the Jewish quarter becomes a kind of uh, a red light district of sorts uh, already in the, in the Ottoman period where where, uh, where uh, Muslims are trying to, to get a hold of alcohol and even even stronger things um, in the Ottoman in the in the Ottoman period um and uh and the government isn't the government wants to crack down on it, but isn't quite sure how so uh, uh collective punishment is one of the the ways in which um, which they one of the methods that they try so someone uh, someone who is caught uh, someone is caught uh, uh, selling wine to a, a Muslim their their house is uh, destroyed um or uh later uh, later once the, the the conflict between the Dordea anti-kabbalists and the kabbalists heats up there is there is of course that that finds its way into this uh system of monitoring um, the Jewish quarter as well so uh where kabbalists you know uh, kabbalists don't trust the anti-kabbalists to report accurate information to the government and and, you know, I fully expect them to, you know, try, try to uh, turn in the other group. Each group expects the other group to try to turn them in and have them uh, uh, be the victim of these collective punishments. So there's a, a wall that's built around the Jewish quarter, really, in, according to some some accounts, but at the behest of the chief rabbi um, and various checkpoints where policemen search um, search the bags of, of merchants who are coming and going. Um, from the Jewish quarter to, to check for alcohol. So you know, in the course of trying to crack down on alcohol, the, the government has to become more and more uh, involved in its production. Um, even getting into questions that you wouldn't think that they would get into, like like uh, quality control, like uh, making sure that uh, individual winemakers are not using too much sugar when they're making their wine. Or or mi- mi- even making sure that all alcohol uh, meets a certain minute or all wine has a certain minimum minimum standard of, of alcohol uh, 16%, which is actually, which is
1: quite strong. Given all this tension, uh, um, how common was violence between Muslims and Jews in Yemen?
0: Well, I, I'm not sure I say, you know, how common it was in terms of, in, in a, you know i I'm not sure we have the kind of um you know data that one would need in order to to, to, to answer that with any confidence but certainly the um, certainly the sources uh describe quite a few violent altercations uh between Muslims and jews um uh, which is something that you would not expect or certainly something that i would not did not expect before I had seen it because um uh, uh certainly uh, uh, uh for for muslims the uh, there is a uh, in addition to the the system of islamic law that that uh, that is uh prevails in yemen there are also various tribal norms and and to uh you know to attack a jew is is sort of on par of, with uh, striking a woman, it's just not uh, uh, to to uh, you know, direct violence towards the weakest members of society is considered a terribly unmanly thing um, thing to do within that those that tribal uh, ethos, um, and so uh, so one would expect not to find it. That often, but we do find uh, instances of violence, and more su- more surprising, I suppose, than than Muslims occasionally, um, you know, getting into uh, or having fights, starting fights with Jews. We also find Jews starting fights with Muslims, which is, I think, even harder to explain. Um, in that uh, they they face, uh, you know, in in terms of the way the courts are 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 organized you know, the, the testimony of a jewish witness is not is not worth the testimony of the of a muslim witness so um it would seem to be an awfully risky thing to do but but we do find uh quite a few examples of or, or anecdotes of of um, of jews starting fights with muslims
1: you tell a really fascinating story about al dahri essentially beating up a qadi i wonder if you could if you could go through that a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a very, uh, um, it's a very, uh, uh, it's a wonderful and, and quite, quite complicated story about, um, uh, which, which begins uh, uh, as a domestic dispute between a, a Jewish couple uh, where uh, a woman from Sana, a Jewish woman, woman from Sanaa is, is married to uh, another Jew who she considers a real kind of. Ick and uh, not doesn't have the manners uh, to, to, uh, that she would expect in a in a man, and so she walks out on him, and and she finds <clears throat> and she basically uh, uh, takes shelter in the house of a Qadi from Sana, so a Muslim Qadi from Sana. So this is extremely embarrassing to 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 the the Jewish husband and, and, and he enlists uh, the help of one of these Jewish intermediaries, Salah Dakhari, to, you know, get the woman back. So, uh, uh, he, so, so it's a, it's in a, it, again, you know, so in, on, on some level, this is a, uh, this is the story of, uh, of a Jew, uh, you know, a, a group of jewish men trying to rein in uh, a rebellious jewish woman um but in the process so by by uh, essentially when they when the jews the the group this group of jewish men go over to the kadi's house they get into a the uh, you know the kadi doesn't want to turn her nor doesn't want to turn her over to them and they had they get into a big fight in the in the courtyard and um uh, and the kadi uh sustained some some blows to the head um and so uh in the remainder of the story you find so, so it's the, the sort of facts of the story are, are, are seem to be pretty pretty bad for, for the Jews. You have Muslim witnesses to to the Jews having beat up this, this Qadi, um, you know, who is a, a person of high social standing and, and so on. Um uh but but despite all this, um the, the, the way that the story plays out the, um, the the men who who beat up the Qadi managed to manage to get away with it uh, basically by by uh, by initiating a very uh, 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 complicated kind of sting operation on some of the um, uh, Muslim witnesses who who presumably had been paid to to um, exaggerate the the extent of the man's image. Injuries and by forging some documents uh, relating to the, also relating to the extent of his his injuries and, um, and behind all this, you see that there, uh, uh, and 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 in doing all this, they the the Jews who who basically succeed in in beating the man up and then and then escaping any kind of punishment for it. All of their legal bills and and expenses are being handled by a a Muslim rival, a very powerful Muslim rival of the Qadis. So there there are all these sort of interacting circles of violence and and, um, that uh, where people, uh, individual players end up siding with people who who, with unlikely uh, making unlikely alliances, essentially, and it all comes together in such a way that that um Salah is able to to claim this as as his uh, kind of his great mom, shining moment almost in 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 a way uh, in the same way that uh Salam Said al-Jamal is able to claim his uh you know his his bike rides through the muslim neighborhoods of Sana'a as, as his uh kind of um uh, you know his his victory in in achieving uh, parity with the the most powerful Muslims in
1: Yemen. What I think is really fascinating about that story is how it shows these, these Jews and Muslims as part of networks that really cross religious lines, right? And that it's not just about religion. That's one aspect, but also class and regional, regional identity and all these other aspects come into it.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely the case where, um, where you find, uh, uh, and and often it changes depending on the situation. So so you find uh, uh, you find Jews, for example, in certain circumstances they li- they will uh, uh, in certain circumstances and in certain contexts they identify with the Sayyids. That is the uh, you know. The the uh, descendants of the Prophet Muhammad, who who argue, you know, who theoretically anyway uh, occupy the highest rung of the social hierarchy, and in other situations, uh, you know, as almost as the need arises, they identify with um, the lowest status Muslims of them all, the the Dawashin or the the, the uh, uh, black uh, caste of, of Muslims that. Um, uh, You know that that one finds sort of on the margins of of Yemeni society. It 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 really uh, uh, it's there. There, this is again. This is uh, uh, these are some of the the non legal uh, realities. These these are some of the the various codes that are being manipulated um, by by uh, the players within these these legal dramas.
1: It's kind of amazing that those cross religious. Alliances still come through, given that these are memoirs, largely written much later in, in the Israeli context, where obviously there's tension between Muslims and Jews. So I wonder if you could just say a bit about the fact that these are memoirs and how how you related to these sources, and maybe how if they were problematic for that reason.
0: Yeah, um, well, there, there there was a variety of sources. So uh, let me just uh, the. I mean the 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 sources in Arabic the Muslim sources can be can be problematic in that they 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 tend only to talk about learned muslim men so uh in in the sense that the anecdotes that I discuss or the episodes I discuss largely involve Jews and and ordinary people it's it uh uh I'll, I'll only be able to use those sources such as bi- biographical dictionaries or or or, or and so on to 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 talk about the judge or or the you know the the important political figures who are involved. Um, uh, and then when it comes to uh, uh, when it comes to various like manuals of Islamic law, uh, uh, the the manuals of law, you know, they talk about the law as it should be, you know, what should happen. They don't talk about what does happen or what did happen. So. Um, often you, you get a very idealized picture of of um, you know of, of the legal system as a whole. And, and one of the things I enjoyed about writing this book was finding out just how what just finding the, the discrepancy between how things ought to be and, and how they how they actually were um, in, in 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 surprising ways. You know, in in certainly. Uh, uh, in all manner of surprising ways and then yeah and then the the the, the memoirs which which gave you know gave so much uh life to, to these anecdotes so are interesting for a variety of reasons because um, uh that most in most cases the the people who wrote these memoirs are not are you know published them at their own expense and they were not you know by and large they were not writers they're not uh, uh you know they're 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 just they're ordinary people or uh, who uh, in in one case, like uh, uh, so uh, let's see uh, uh, you know, Ratzon Halevi who uh, who who wrote uh, in some wonderful memoirs was a construction worker in, in Tel Aviv mm. I met him once uh, before he died, and he he, uh, he gave me these books, and that was one of the my first uh, uh, exposure to 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 this material. But they uh, so, but they they um, you know they, they they are talking quite a bit about uh, uh, it. It is interesting, as as you say, that they have an, an their audience of, of audiences primarily other other Yemenite Jews in, in Israel. Um, but they were. They do focus on these uh on these dramatic uh, anecdotes and and I should say that i I largely use the uh, you know m- many of these books have a sort of very radical break between part one and part two right part one being life in Yemen and then part two being once they arrived in Israel and my right. focus was on the was on the earlier part um, although uh, you know i although I think there is something to be said uh, uh, for the way in which they Know, have tried to harmonize those those two experiences.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the even just the outlining there, Zionism is kind of interesting because they in some way project it back into Yemen. Maybe, maybe, maybe they were Zionists in Yemen, but maybe that's also exaggerated by their new context.
0: That's true. Yeah, yeah, I I think that is the case, and I think, uh, you know, I think there is also a. a there you know that i certainly suspect that you know that 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 certainly when some of the writers who talk about the kind of the intense poverty and 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 just the the epidemics and poverty and and just uh uh, uh very grim conditions that prevailed in Yemen you know for for everybody in the in the forties um you know, I wonder whether the the sort of ideological fervor that gets projected back back you know into that period is is uh, whether it's apologetic or, or or if they you know uh, how much of their motivations for leaving were, were were driven by that by that just just a simple desire to get away from that that situation.
1: Great, I think I think we've taken up too much of your time. Thanks a lot. Um, Oh, we usually conclude just by asking what you're working on now.
0: Um, well, I have. Uh, uh, I'm in. I'm in Paris now,
1: and I'm working with a,
0: a colleague uh, uh, on a collection of poems from 18th century Yemen, written by a, a Muslim author uh, called Al khafanji who wrote um, humorous poems in Yemeni vernacular Arabic. So they're they're very interesting um, on a variety of levels there. It's a very large corpus of of Arabic vernacular literature from the 18th century, which is um, earlier than we're accustomed to dating the emergence of vernacular literature in Arabic. But here's a it's a very rich uh, manuscript tradition Um, and. Chafanji uh, does a lot of interesting things with with language, with experimenting with the various uh, uh, kinds of types of language that different people in Yemen at that time used. And and you know, what's germane to our conversation is that he does he does have Jewish characters uh, which he introduces for for comic effect, uh, and he tries to imitate the way that they talk and the way that they. Incorporate Hebrew words and um, other strange expressions into their uh, into their uh, uh, into their speech, and uh, he even goes so far as to describe his his own process of uh, you know of writing poetry as being you know uh, akin to a uh, a Jew preparing for the Sabbath, which is which is supposed to be very quite hilarious. <laughs>
1: That sounds like an awesome project. I look forward to seeing it. Thank you again for being on the show today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.